turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. As Bill mentioned, we have been on a series focusing on transformation. The word means metamorphosis. Our word picture this year has been a caterpillar to a butterfly and the supernatural, wonderful privilege we have to be transformed as new creations more and more into the image of Jesus. And we're going to continue that this morning. Our key verses since uh, the beginning of the year have been Romans 12, 1 and 2. So let's go ahead and read those out loud together and then we'll pray and launch off. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Ready? Begin. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank you for our time of worship so far this morning. And Lord, for several months now, we have been examining biblical transformation, the incredible, supernatural, joyful, wondrous process whereby we are transformed by the renewing of our minds more and more into the image of Christ. And, and Lord, what an incredible privilege it is to be a part of your work, not just in our lives, but in your kingdom. And so now, Lord, as we uh, turn our attention to your work, we do so in complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would bring truth and application to our lives, Lord, that we would not just be hearers, but doers. And Lord, in our faithful obedience, that you would continue uh, the metamorphosis, Lord, that only you can bring about. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going to start with a little story here. I'm going to come down so you, you can look up there. It's called The Parable of the Life-Saving Station. It says this. Shai, you can kill the lights for me. It says, On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea. And with no thought for themselves, they went out day or night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved by this wonderful little station so that it became famous. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding areas wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought and new crews were trained. The little life-saving station grew. Some of the new members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they redecorated it beautifully and furnished it as a sort of club. Less of the members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The mission of life-saving was still given lip service. But most were too busy or lacked the necessary commitment to take part in the life-saving activities personally. 
About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. Some had skin of a different color. Some spoke a strange language, and the beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal pattern of the club. But some members insisted that life-saving was their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the life of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. They did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. They evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. If you visit the seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but now most of the people drown. Very challenging parable. Very timely as I listened to Bill's message from last week. And, and then I reflected on, Lord, where are we as a church? You know, six and a half years ago, God called us to, to start Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship and and for six and a half years, it has been a joy, just an absolute joy to see God grow you and to uh, enjoy the journey of transformation together. Bill and Tyler and I, we, we often will sit around and just celebrate you and, and what we've seen God do in you and what he continues to do from Cindy's living room to Saturday nights. You remember the Saturday nights? Woo! Saturday nights, and then two plus years ago, moving to Sunday mornings, and the Wesleyan Church being willing to accommodate our Sunday morning shift, and and so there's so much happening and so much good, and and since the beginning of the year, so many new faces, so many new faces, and we celebrate you and 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 your commitment and your desire to join us in what God is doing, and yet, and yet that parable strikes a deep chord strikes a very deep chord with me and, and with our leadership team because that was really about uh, a church, if you want to call it that, a group of people that, that started out really well, but in the end, things kind of turned upside down because there was a lack of clarity, a lack of unity around purpose, around purpose. What are we about again? Why, why do we do this? Why are we here? And that's why I really appreciated Bill's, Bill's message last Sunday was, you know, are you all in? And, and he, there was a two-part question. I don't know if many of you remember everything of it, but there was a two-part. says, are you all in? And then he said, well, are you all in for what? And are you all in for whom? And last Sunday, as I listened to it, the, the core was the whom. Are you all in for Jesus, right? Are you all in for Jesus? And, and Bill shared a wonderful testimony of, of God stretching him and growing him and breaking him and revealing things, right, in, in his walk with Jesus. So the question last, last Sunday was asked and answered, are you all in 
for Jesus, right? And then I, I was prepping, and in and, and, and God's divine providence, only He could do this, I prepped mine, and, and, and mine sort of answered the other part of that. Are you all in for what? What? what what's the purpose of being all in? You got the who, but the what? And this touches everything, because if, you, if you're not clear on the purpose of the all inness. You might not be clear about why you're here. Why are you? Okay, we'll pick up next Sunday when you can come and answer. (laughs) Why are you? What was the purpose of getting up and coming to this thing called church? What's the purpose? Why? Why did God make you? What's the purpose of your covenant relationship with Jesus? Being all in for Jesus. What's the purpose? Why are you here? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? What's the purpose? Because if, if you're not clear on the purpose, you can get kind of tied up in knots and your Christianity can slide into a bunch of disconnected, disjointed activity that you're doing because Pastor Richie said I'm supposed to. Why are you going to Mexico? Because Bill said it would be good for me. Right? And, and, and if you're not clear on your, your biblical purpose at the core covenant level, that, that purpose that drives every area of your life, not just church activities, but your money, your relationships, your, how you act at the job, your, your marriage, your kids, the core purpose, being all in for Jesus and being all in for what, those two are central. It's like a bicycle hub. Those are the hub, and every spoke of your life goes back to the purpose, the who and the what. So last week, Bill was like, okay, are you all in for the who, which was who? So the question is, are you all in for what? What's the purpose? See, that terrible, wonderful illustration of what happens when when you or me or churches get kind of confused and lack clarity on your purpose. And, 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 And it is a challenge. Why? Because there's spiritual warfare. And the devil wants to lure you away from your purpose. And then there's this thing called the flesh. How many of you tend to struggle with the flesh? Okay, how many, if you, let me, let me, how many of you tend to want to cater to yourself? Okay, that was the flesh. Okay, so if you didn't get the first part, I just defined flesh for you. It's all about me and, and what I want, my desires and, you know, path of least resistance. That's all flesh, right? So you got the devil and you got the flesh. And what are they trying to do? distract you, get you to drift from your core purpose, right? I shared with you before, I used to uh, go deep sea fishing quite a bit, right? And you go deep sea fishing, the, you go out to the islands and the captain circles around till he finds on his fish finder where all the fish are, usually above some rocks. He circles around, he, he drops the anchor, and then he says, okay, boom, and everyone drops their lines, right? And I share with you, I'm so intent on the tip of my rod, right fish on yeah, right and, and and you get so excited and I, be, I would be so tunnel vision on the tip of my rod and all of a sudden the fish stop biting and you're like man anyone's catching no one's catching and all of a sudden like 10 15 minutes later the captain will say okay reel up your lines we've drifted and they pull up the anchor and they have to circle around because they drifted off the spot I was so focused on my line and what I was doing that I didn't even know the boat moved. We drifted. And if we're not careful, 
in our spiritual life. We can get so consumed with ourselves that we can drift. We can drift and, 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 you know, the pastor has to say, okay, reel them up. We've got to circle around because we've drifted. Right? And so, all in for who brings us back? And all in for what brings us back to being on spot? Being on spot where we need to stay, right? And so, we've been talking about transformation. How many of you want to be transformed? If you've been here, I'm going to go from the caterpillar to the... But we all want that, right? For what? Why? Okay. Because you said so? Why do you want to be transformed? What's the bigger purpose of transformation? Right? Think about that. Did you ever ask that question? Or was it just, well, the Bible says because I'm commanded to, so that's the purpose. Uh, 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 It says so. Why do you want to be transformed? What higher ultimate core purpose does it serve? Because if you're not clear on that, you might not, you know, I've I've made that analogy oftentimes, right? Uh, In the last five months, some of us are stuck in neutral. You want to be driving on this road to transformation, but somehow you're stuck and you're doing a lot. I'm serving, I'm giving, I'm going on mission trips. You're a lot of activity, but you're not going anywhere because you're in neutral. Like, why am I not progressing? What? Maybe you're you're not shifting into gear because your purpose hasn't been clear. Maybe you drifted. Maybe all that activity is just activity's sake. Maybe, and this is, this is real key, take this the right way. One of the things we have to guard against as Christians and as a church, because the church is made up of who? People, right? Everyone do this. Have you been with me? You know, you know, we've done this before, right? Everyone do this, right? With your fingers right here. So, right, remember, he goes, here's a building with or without a steeple. Open the doors. The church is the people. Okay, do this and find yourself. Find yourself. Find, a per- find your neighbor next to you. Say, there you are. I see you right there. Right? So here's the thing. If the church is the people, if the individual people aren't clear on your purpose, what's going to happen to the church? It's going to be unclear. Right? It's going to be unclear. So we have to, you have to spend the necessary time. You have to say, why are you here? Why are you here? I have to ask myself that question as a pastor of a church. Why are we doing this? Why did the Ojai Valley need another church? Did the Ojai Valley need another church six years ago? Why are we here? What is your purpose? What got you up this morning? When you go to sleep tonight, when you put your head on your pillow, are you going to smile and say, Oh, Lord, thank you today. I just took another, I just fulfilled your purpose. That was a good day. That was a good day. Are you going to say that when you put your head on your pillow? Well, in order to say that, you kind of got to know what it was, right? you got to know what, what was the purpose, right? I came across a, a track coach. Track coach says this. Those who know why will always be victorious over those who only know how. Those who know why will always be victorious over those who only know how. This was, again, the context of a track coach. But a lot of times, right, we focus on the what, how, 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 how. How am I supposed to grow? How, 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 how? Churches don't often spend a lot of time on why, 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 why. Right? How many of you have ever had a, a, a child? Why? Anyone? And you said, because I 
right? So they'll do it out of compliance and fear of the wrath. Right? Why is it valuable to teach them the why? So they can own it. They can mature. They can grow. They become self-directive. They become proactive in their own life because they understand the purpose of not sticking the metal thing in the light fixture. Right? We have to know the why. Why are you here this morning? Why are you walking with Jesus? Why? What are you about? Really, what are you about every day as a human being on this planet? What is your purpose? Are you just taking up air? You know, someone said, just taking up space and air? What's, what's, what's the plan? What's the purpose, right? And if we're going to go that, we, we need to kind of look at what the Bible says. Let's turn to Isaiah 43. It goes all the way back. This isn't in your notes, so I would love for you to add Isaiah 43 to your outline there. Isaiah 43. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. God's talking about his covenant people, right? Israel. As a believer in Christ, you are now his covenant people under the new covenant. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 says this. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. What was God's purpose? Whom I created for what? God says he created his covenant people for his glory. We exist for his glory. That's the core purpose. It's not about us. It's not about us. And the, the, especially the American church has been so good at catering to us. That inadvertently our faith is about us. So in the most loving, sincere, gentle way, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm sorry, but it's not about you. <laughs> just, just lovingly pat them on the back and say, I'm sorry. It's not about you. You're not here and the planets aren't going like this around you, okay? It's not. Who's it about? God's glory, right? Are you all in for Jesus? To whom are you all in for? His glory. God's glory. To glorify Him. That's the core purpose of it. Everything we do, we are created for His glory. Look at the example of Jesus. Turn to John 17.4. John 17.4. If we're going to be all in for Jesus, we should probably follow Jesus' example. In John 8.50, don't turn there, turn to John 17.3 and 4. John 8.15, Jesus says, I don't come here for my own glory. He says, John 8.50, I don't seek my own glory. Jesus wasn't even seeking his own glory. Look at what he says in John 17.4. We'll start in John 17.3 and 4. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus himself says he has brought glory to his Father. 
Jesus' desire was to glorify His Father by completing the work that He had given. Right? Our core purpose, you've got to be real clear, it's not about us, it's about God's glory. It's to glorify Him. Right? Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.9. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. First Peter two nine. Look at this wonderful verse. First Peter two nine. But you are speaking to believers. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. How many of you love that? How many of you love that? Throw your hands up. That's me. Everyone say that's me. If I'm a believer, that's me. Let's read it again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Everyone say, woohoo! Okay, is there a period or a comma? Uh-oh. Row, row. There's a comma. Now that word, that, everyone say that. How many of you tend to skip over that? Okay, you may want to circle or underline that. That is a huge word biblically. You cannot skip over that. Because that changes everything from you to God. Look at this. First Peter 2.9. That word that, I put in your notes, it's a term of purpose. Okay, it's actually a term of purpose. So, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Everyone say that. You may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Uh-oh. You are given all that wonderful truth about who you are in Christ so that what? You can declare his praises by your life. You see, he gives you all these incredible truths. Now, most of us want to put a period there or an exclamation. That's me. That's me. Oh, oh, it's a comma. That. Oh, I'm supposed to. Oh, it's not about me. It's so that I can go out there and declare his praises to this world that needs to know God. It's that. That's the purpose, that we may proclaim his purpose. Turn to Matthew 5. Look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5:16 In the same way, this is Jesus talking. In the same way, let your light so shine before men. Uh-oh, what's that word? That they may see your good weeks, good good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In the same way, let your light shine before men. What? That they may see your good deeds and what? Praise your Father in heaven. Oh. Oh, so we're supposed to let our light shine in the Ojai Valley. Not so that everyone gives us a pat on the back. Not so everyone says, oh, your church is so good and friendly and loving. It's so that they praise who? They should see our good deeds in this valley, whether it's the schools, whether it's Mexico, and go, praise God. See, by our actions, you are demonstrating the nature and the character of God. 
Why do you go to Mexico? Because God is a God of mercy. Why do you give? Because God is a giving God. Why do you love people? Because God is a God of love. We let our good deeds shine for the purpose of His glory, of glorifying Him. What is to glorify Him? To manifest. I put the definitions, some definitions in your notes, right? What is it to glorify? To so manifest His person through your life that others will clearly see Him through your lifestyle. The word doxology. Doxa, glory, logos, speak. Combine them, you get the word doxology. Praise God from... Right? Is your life a doxology? What if, what if you woke up and here's the purpose every day. Lord, today, I want my life to be a doxology. I want my life to praise you. Amen? Wouldn't that be awesome? I want my life to be a doxology. I'm all in for Jesus, and now I want to be a doxology. Boom. Can't really go wrong. You'd be all in for Jesus, and I want, to be, I want my life to be a doxology. I just want it to be a doxology. Right? Turn to John. John 15.8. I'm going to bring up Bill in just a minute or two. John 15.8. How many of you want to bear fruit in your life, spiritual fruit? How many of you would love to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. Why? Well, now you know the answer, right? Because, right? I'm hoping now you're catching on that everything you do, even transformation, even bearing fruit, has a higher purpose. Look at John 15:8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. Wah! You see? Everything gets so clear. I've been so challenged with this pastorally and personally. Walking with the Lord and serving the Lord over 20 years, I'm like, oh my gosh. So much of my exhortation to students and, and, and teaching has been the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to bear the fruit of the Spirit. You should go on mission trips. You should do this. You should do this. And much of it has been, I have neglected the Why? In fact, I, I, I take it back. I have emphasized the wrong why. Because I have many, in many ways exhorted people to bear fruit, to go on mission trips, to serve, to all things, because of all it's going to do for you. And how good it's going to be for you. And you're going to grow. And you're going to benefit. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And everything we do is all about what you're going to somehow receive. John 15.8 says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. So when you bear much fruit, who gets the glory? God! You see this trip to Mexico? We're going to go, and the focus isn't necessarily the people we're going to build the house for. The, the focus isn't necessarily all the good we're going to do. We're going to celebrate that. But we're going to go to Mexico so that God can be glorified. It's a win. That's the freedom. Everyone say freedom. You see, now, when the purpose is clear, you just live your life, wherever it is, in this valley, for the glory of God. And you can put your head down every night and celebrate that you glorified Him. You manifested Him in your home, in your speech, at work. It's that. Right? Even, even, 
And I'm going to bring Bill up in just a second. Turn to First Peter, even in your service. Turn to First Peter 4.11. Look at this. First Peter 4.11. Even in your serving. Even in your serving. And as a church, we've been blessed that the Bodycomb family has joined us with a a heart of missions and opportunity to serve there. We've been blessed with the schools opening up. We've been blessed with Tina doing children's ministry. We've been blessed with uh, the Peters and Pagnasats and then all the ladies, Cindy, everyone who does the fellowship hall, moving people. We have been blessed with many opportunities to serve. Why? we serve ah look like first peter 4 11 if anyone speaks he should do it as one speaking the very very words of god if anyone serves he should do it with all with the strength god provides so that in all things god may be praised through jesus christ to him be the glory and power forever and ever amen When was the last time you linked your service to the glory of God? Isn't that awesome? We serve to glorify Him in whatever capacity. That's why there's no big thing. Oh, I can't go to missions. I just make coffee. No, if you're making coffee to the glory of God, amen to that. Amen? How many of you amen the coffee across the way? How many of you amen bringing the donuts? Right? Cindy, thank you. There is no, there's no scale because the same purpose, that he would be praised. And he says there in First Peter 4, 11, right, you should serve. It says this, right? Do it with the strength God provides. If you serve in complete dependence on God and reliance on him, provisions, financial strength, if you're scared to death and you go by faith, if you do it and relying on him, he gets the praise. He gets the glory. Everything we do as a church, this has brought so much clarity and I'm so happy for us as a church moving forward that, you know what, from worship to this service to Wednesday nights to serving, it's all for His glory. Let's just be all in for Jesus and do it to glorify God. Let's just keep the main thing the main thing. Let's just keep it simple. And you're like, well, how do I know what glorifies God? Well, simple we're going to keep the main thing the main thing here and and i encourage you this has been really tough for me i'm not going to lie to you because deeply ingrained in me since i was a wee little lad was you can be everything you want to be you and you and i was raised to be successful and i was raised to this and i was raised to this and my whole life i was raised to serve me and get my goals and get my success along comes Biblical truth, which radically challenges my purpose. Which is, uh, hey, by the way, cowboy, ain't about you. That's tough. And I'm not going to candy coat it. That is a tough. And, and if you think a one-off 20-minute deal is going to change, it might. I'm not discounting God, but you need to chew on this. Because deeply ingrained in all of us is this deep purpose to serve ourselves first. It's ingrained on us from a little, a little kid, right? And and today, this morning, we're going to do something. Uh, I think it's going to just help us get this 
even more so to understand the perspective is we're going to bring up Bill and Mark in just a few minutes. But I wanted to share this with you. If you're following the NBA Finals, you know Steph Curry, two-time MVP, strong believer, right? I love this quote that um, Shiloh shared with me. This is from Steph Curry. He says this, I've always been a believer that the Lord has put whatever talent in you and whatever gift he has put in you, he wants you to get the most out of that. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to pursue and work and be passionate about it. It's not about getting any of the glory for yourself. It's all for his glory. That's where you have to keep perspective. Work at it and do all you can so you get the most out of yourself, but do it for his will. Right? Now, you don't have to be an NBA. You don't need that big platform. You do it right here when you leave here. When you leave here, if you get your purpose, you get the who and you get the what, and you leave here, your life can be radically changed today. Today. Because if you ask God to show you, Lord, show me in my life those areas where I have been living for self, disguised as Christianese, ooh, be careful. Because he'll show you. And it can be painful. It can really be painful. If you you have those areas of your life where you kind of just settled, you just settled. You know that commercial out there, that direct TV, the settlers, right? The settlers, there's the settlers who, who have like cable, the wired thing, and they're, they're in this neighborhood where everyone's got satellite, and it's like they're like the old covered wagon. They're the settlers. I laugh every time I see that. I'm like, that's the church. That's me. Lord, in what areas of my life have I just settled? You know, I just settled. I'm a settler. And then all of a sudden, God tells me, oh, yeah, you know why? Because it's still about you, isn't it? And when it's about you, you can settle. But when it's about glorifying him, oh, you know what? Hitch up the wagon because we're moving. It's about him. And I invite you to, to enter a relationship with him. A supernatural, loving, grace-filled, beautiful relationship where he wants to transform you and do incredible things in your life for his glory. But here's the crazy thing. When you live for whose glory, who does it come back around anyway and bless Oh, me? Amen? So let's just do that. Let's be all in for Him, and let's be all in for His glory. Can we do that? Come on up. That's quite a story about the life-saving station, isn't it? See, these people started out, and I think they were on mission. Weren't they? They were on mission. Um, serving, probably even to the glory of God. Uh, but things kind of went terribly wrong, didn't they? And, and I think missions really in the church are kind of that way sometimes because the church has been sending missionaries, missionaries we call them, uh, since Jesus said, what? Go make disciples in all the world baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see, the first missionary started out some 2,000 years ago when Jesus gave the command, go. He just said to go. And right out of the box, the church was sending missionaries. That's pretty cool. Because I believe that y'all, we all, are missionaries. Right here, right now, we're missionaries. But we think about it in terms of people that go overseas, don't we? But you just have to walk out the door to be a missionary. It's really just a choice. But the missionaries that were sent, I think, historically in the church 
had the same thing happen to them. The whole mission concept in the church had the same thing happen as happened in the life-saving station. Because what happened is, is that as the church sent missionaries out, they went out, didn't they? But you see, originally it was the church that sent the missionaries out. The church. A church. Like this church would send missionaries out. But then the church got introspective. And I'm talking about from the time that Jesus said go. Some 1,500 years went by and the church got really comfortable and really big and really powerful. And this guy named Martin Luther came along and said, hey, wait a minute, time out. We got a problem here. The church got really comfortable. Familiar? And all of a sudden it became a problem until this reformation started happening. And then things changed again. You see, because it used to be the church that was the social welfare program for people that were in need. See, they came together and they brought everything that they had together and they gave out as people had need. And that's what the church did because it was a heart thing, wasn't it? But then all of a sudden, the church got introspective again. So for the last 500 years, what's happened in the church is, is that we've had to, the, the church has thought, Name one missionary that this church has sent out into the world. You can't. <laughs> oh. See, because the churches don't send missionaries anymore. We have whole organizations now. They're called sending organizations that send missionaries out in the world. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that the church has really kind of abdicated its responsibility in some ways. And so now organizations send missionaries out. And I'm familiar with several of them. I've worked with some of them. They're called parachurch organizations. And so we have Campus Crusade for Life. It's now called Crew. It's huge. Tens of thousands of people that are out on mission in the world. Uh, we have Wycliffe Bible Translators, Samaritan's Purse. I've worked with Samaritan's Purse in Africa and Samaritan's Purse in Alaska flying for them. Organizations that send missionaries out because the church sort of lost their way just a little bit. Kind of interesting. Send international Christian mission organizations worldwide, including YWAM, Homes of Hope. Homes of Hope is a great mission field, though, isn't it? It's right next door. There are neighbors there in Mexico. And we can go and we can build a house there. That's easy, but it's not really easy in a lot of other places in the world because there's 86 countries in the, in, in the world right now that won't even receive a Christian missionary if they're known to be coming into the country. It's really challenging. And I remember my very first mission trip some years ago. There was a presentation a lot like this. And there was a guy there that was kind of in charge of it. And he said, hey, we're going to, guess what? Homes of Hope. And we're going to build a house. And I was sitting in the pew. Not in this church, because this church didn't exist then. This is the new work of God. But I was sitting in the pew and I was listening to that thinking, yeah, right, I'm busy. I got things to do and I got a business to run and I got stuff happening in my life. And that's awesome for other people. And that's wonderful. But the choice was is that you could build a house or you could go to the orphanage. And then this guy shows this picture. And it's because it, he had been there before, you see. And the pictures that he showed was it was kind of a video. And they were washing children's hair at an orphanage. 
and with dirt floors, and these and these children were dirty, and they had lice, and they were washing their hair. I was out. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. See, I wasn't interested in going on that mission trip. I had no interest whatsoever. It wasn't my gift. I wasn't gifted in that way. So I'd, I'd, I'd never even had children. No children. What do I know about washing kids' hair? And besides, they're dirty. I, you know, not real comfortable. Then this man that was making the presentation asked me specifically. He said, do you want to go? It was such an easy answer. Oh, no, no, no. You got plenty of help. There's a, it's a pretty good sized church. You guys go. It'll be good. And I thought I was off the hook until the next Sunday when this very same man said, you know, I've been praying about this, Bill. And he said, you know what? I'm not asking you to come. I'm telling you, you're going. And I respected this man. And so guess what? I went, and what I told him is, I said, that's cool, but I'll build the house. I'm not going to the orphanage. And so when we got down to Ensenada, to the YWAM base, there was a schedule. There was a list because some people were building the house and some people were doing the orphanage. Guess which list he put me on? <laughs> so, we, so, so I ended up at the orphanage, and I was, I was scared. I was nervous. I was out of my element. I was all that stuff. And um, and we were supposed to paint, but for the first four or five hours, the first day we were there, what did we do? We played with the kids. I don't know how to play with kids, but that's what we did. We played with kids. And then there was this little girl, and she was five. And when we did begin to paint there, this little girl that was five, who could speak perfect English, began to teach me the words to worship songs that we were singing in church. But I didn't know the I didn't know the words. I knew the melody. I'm a drummer. I don't sing. I knew the melody. She taught me. She's five. She taught me. My, my heart was being broken. That's what was going on. And you see, so after that day at the orphanage, we went back to the YWAM base. And this, this, this man from the church that was organizing it had the list together. And he said, okay, tomorrow now you can go to the house when we've been to the orphanage. And somehow or another... God said, nope. And then I actually requested to go back to the orphanage, which led to a beautiful relationship with that orphanage. And we went back and we built them a kitchen and we built them five bedrooms and two bathrooms. And then we got involved with YWAM, which led to being a part of it. In fact, Joel Griffin from the First Baptist Church, who will be going on the Homes of Hope trip. He and I became staff members at YWAM and we built like 30 houses and leading teams down there. And it all came from I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. And that was, it was scary. And my life since that time had been built around missions. I didn't even want to, I didn't, I had no interest. But God works that way, doesn't he? He, he tends, I don't know, this God we serve, he tends to break me down a lot. <laughs> he just does that. So, if going on a mission trip, as we call it in the church today, is scary, Susan, maybe, if it's scary, go anyway. Just go scared. Go doing it 
even though you don't know what's going to happen or how you're going to react to it or what God is going to do for His glory. Amen? I want to introduce to you um, Mark Bodycomb. For those of you, Mark, come on up. For those of you that don't know Mark, this is Mark Bodycomb. You see, (laughs) he's the man. (laughs) He's the man that almost 15 years ago said, I'm not asking you if you want to go, Bill. I'm telling you you're going. So thanks, brother. <laughs> That's all a true story. So, so let me uh, let me tell you about um, before that happened, um, and let, let me just first read a, a couple of verses out of James. This is James two. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Such faith Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Um, I just want to tell you a little bit about my story, how I got to where I am. Um, Probably during the first 20, 25 years of my Christian life, um, my whole focus really was into the church. That was just the opportunities and the heart that the Lord gave me was ministering into the body itself through all sorts of different ways. And um, the first real exposure, I think, that I had to this, um, this op- these opportunities to go outside of my comfort zone and to go outside of uh, even the physical environment that I was in was in Santa Barbara. We lived in Santa Barbara a long time before we moved here. And at the church we were going to, Santa Barbara Community Church, they had a relationship with the church down in Honduras. And there were teams from the church that would periodically, once a year or so, go down to Honduras and do things. And honestly, I didn't know quite what they did and what that was all about. But to be honest, kind of like Bill, it was like, no, that's not me. That's not for me. That's not my gifting. That's not my interest. That's just not not where I'm at at all. And there was just kind of, and frankly, I think it kind of boiled a little bit down to what Richie was talking about earlier. I think there was a lot of kind of me, my comfort, my ability, kind of what did I want, you know, and and it wasn't that. Um, And then really, actually, for me, kind of what got me to take that first step was uh, this man sitting down at the end of the pew here. So over at OVCC, Richie was the youth pastor, and I had a couple of kids who were involved in the youth ministry there, and uh, Richie had this idea about going down to Mexico the very first time with the ministry to build a a house. And uh, Larry Swallows went on that trip, and Dwayne McCulloch, and a whole bunch of us went down with a bunch of high school students, and I volunteered to go down just as kind of a participant and and helping out. And and that was a neat experience. Uh, But the next year, we went down for the first time with YWAM, and it was actually uh, a precursor to the trip that Bill is talking about in the video that he was talking about. And I will, Linda Wilson was on that trip, and I distinctly remember a very poignant uh, point in time where uh, uh, I was on my knees in the dirt washing one of those little girls' hair. And... Um, we had a 
there was a decision for the team. We had a, it was mostly teens that were with us that we were going to stop what we were doing and we were going to uh, go to an area outside of Ensenada, La Bufadora, if you've been there. And it's a beautiful area right down on the beach and they've got little trinket places where you can buy things about Mexico. It's just a beautiful place to go visit. So the decision was, hey, let's all stop what we're doing. Let's uh, load up in the vans and we're going to go down to La Bufadora. And um, I, 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 I couldn't do it. I, I just was confronted with this choice of I can can't I, can't I stay here and love and serve this little girl? And there was a line of kids waiting to have their hair washed. And I had to make a choice of either staying there and washing the next kid's hair and the next kid's hair and the next kid's hair or get up and go in a van and go enjoy myself down at La Bufadora. And honestly, that was a crisis for me. Um, and at that, uh, in that experience and at that moment, the Lord um, changed something in my heart and um, brought me to a place in my life where uh, the way that I can only describe it is that I, I found myself in a position where I could not not do that any longer. Um, I had to continue finding ways to go out and to serve the poor and to help the needy and to love in Jesus' name for his glory the people who, um, who needed that. Um, and so I began the next year um, uh, leading trips and providing opportunities and walking up to people like Bill and walking up to people like uh, Kathy Wilcox this morning and other people and just uh, and Susan last year with Haiti, um, who the Lord had spoken to, and um, just providing opportunity for people to come and um, glorify God and to love Him. Because, you know, when, when Richie and Bill and I, we met this week and we're talking about this Sunday, and, and um, I get the whole idea of mission and the use of that term, but... I was thinking this week that I'm, I'm, even that term to me is a little bit of a misnomer. Not a misnomer, but it, it's, it's a little bit of a scary term, this idea of mission. It just kind of creates this notion of, of deepest dark Africa or, you know, um, it's, it's an overwhelming term. I'm not a missionary. I can't go do that. Well, really, just, just put that whole word aside. It's got, just leave that word out of the conversation. It is about love. It is about God's love to the kids at Miramonte. It is about God's love to the homeless. It is about God's love to the people at Triple C. It is about God's love to a family in Mexico. It is about God's love to people in Haiti? Is it about God's love to people wherever you are in the workplace, frankly, to your own family? We, it is all about sharing and living the love and life of God and glorifying him like Richie was talking about this morning. Um, so my challenge, my encouragement to you um, is to pray, to be open. Um, 
I did not want to go down this path. This is not a path that I ever dreamed my life would be headed down as a believer. And frankly, there have been so many junctions in this path for me that have been scary for me, have been challenging, have been stretching, have been difficult. Have not, this has not been an easy path for me. Um, but it is one that I am crystal clear that the Lord has told me over and over and over again, I want you to go down this path. I want you to take this step. I want you to do this. It's been very clear to me. And I have, to the best of my ability, simply obeyed, have, have trusted the Lord, have obeyed, his word to me, Mark, go do this. Um, okay, I am scared. I'm not even sure, frankly, I want to, but I will do it, Lord, because you are telling me to do it. Um, and his faithfulness has been unbelievable. He will be faithful to you if you will listen to him, if you will obey his voice to you and take a step, take that step of faith, even though it's scary. He will meet you in beyond your wildest imagination. So my challenge to you, pray, be open, listen to his voice, and obey. About 26 years ago, Nadine and I went, uh, were attending a church in Claremont in San Diego, one of the larger churches, and we had uh, just finished up a premarital counseling appointment. And we were leaving the church foyer. And in walks in a guy named uh, Pastor Miles McPherson. And at that time, he was a high school pastor at Horizon Christian Fellowship. And we were just attenders. I was a fairly new believer, and she, we were just attenders, Sunday morning attenders. And he goes, hey! And we didn't even know him. He introduced himself. He goes, you guys serve? Uh, no. Hey, why don't you check out high school ministry? Okay. Like, when he gives us, the, you know, the thing. Next, I think it was the next Sunday. We decide, this was like a 45-minute drive from our house, you know. We, we decide, okay, let's just go check it out. We walk into this large youth room with all kinds of kids. I've never done youth ministry. Never done any Christian service. I'm a new believer. I'm a way fish out of water. Nadine is, is sort of, by nature, just very extroverted comedian. Anyway, so we walk in, and she's like, boom, talking with whoever. And I'm standing there, so uncomfortable. How many of you like been a, a, an adult in a sea of kids, and you're like, awkward, right? Who's the old guy? And I'm, I'm like, what do I do now? And I kid you not, my very first Sunday, the only, the only memory I have is her leaving me, feeling like a complete fool and just sort of moseying over to the foosball table and pretending like I was watching, dying every moment. Can this be over? You know, this first venture into youth ministry? Well, needless to say, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> because of that chance meeting and chance invitation, and we went. I had no, no prior experience. We just showed up. And God did what he could only do. And by his grace, we are here this morning. Uh, and so I give him the glory for that. Uh, if you could have told me 26 years ago, we would be here in Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship on this day with me preaching out. I said, you're out of your mind. I just want to leave this youth ministry. <laughs> so I, 
if you're there, the message isn't just about, it's just anywhere God calls you to go. We've been there. So just be open. Be all in Jesus. Do it for His glory. And then hang on and trust Him. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You. Thank You. Thank You for bringing us back to the core. It's all about You, Jesus. And it's all about Your glory. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we once again have a chance to remember You, Jesus, and Your sacrifice, which was to the glory of God. And so as we prepare for communion, we want to do it now in a, in a heart of remembrance. And also a heart, Lord, that has received Your Word. And maybe our purpose hasn't been clear. Maybe, if we're honest, much of our faith, much of our Christianity, much of our church is about us. And when you already know, we're not hiding anything. But Lord, we can choose to repent of that. We can choose to confess it, change our heart and mind, and then open our hands and say, not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless, all in for Jesus, all in for the glory of God. And so that's our heart in this time of communion. We come forward as a proclamation. We step forward out of the pews and we walk forward. And as we do, we're proclaiming our conviction that Jesus is our Savior and Lord. It's a doxology. And Lord, our prayer as we reflect on Your obedience, even unto death, to the glory of God. We remember that today. And if you're here and you've never put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. Rest fully on Jesus' finished work at Calvary. Rest fully that He paid the penalty for your sin. You could never have paid. Receive by grace His finished work. Put your faith in Jesus. And you too can join in communion as well. So Jesus, we love you. We give you this time of communion now. In your name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and bring the communion trays forward. If you'd like, you can come. Whenever you're, you're ready, you can come out of your seats and take the communion cups. And you can take communion as you would like. You don't have to wait for everybody to be finished. Uh, you can just come forward and get the cups. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Amen. It could be something across the country, across the world, across the parking lot. Let your life be a doxology. Let your life declare His praises and see what that does. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing the doxology, but I want you to sing it as your prayer that your life would be a doxology.